This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. About uh, three months ago, <clears throat> well, actually it was December 12th, my father, who had just turned 90 years old, uh, passed away in his sleep. Two weeks later, I preached at his memorial service. I've been preaching for 27 years. That was one of the, or if not the hardest sermon I've ever had to write. I felt the same way about this message. It was as hard or maybe even harder than the sermon I had to write for my dad's own memorial service. And so I, I was getting frustrated myself, wondering why is this so hard? Why is this not coming together? Why am I struggling to write this? And I, Obviously, the common themes between those two sermons is grief. It is hard to write a sermon. It's hard to do a lot of things in life when you're processing your own grief. And so this morning, I come to you as someone who's, who's filled with joy and gra gratitude to be here, but also a lot of grief today, as I know a lot of you are probably feeling as well. And this is a great service, and I love being with the nine people in this sanctuary, the nine total people, but this is a service that is of maybe more than any service in the church here is to be embodied. You should be here. You should be here today. There should be hundreds of children up front waving their palms and singing and dancing. And children, if you're listening to this, let, let me say just on behalf of the, the pastoral staff here, we miss you. We want you to be here. And it's not the same without you. And we're doing the best that we can. But there is grief in our hearts because this is a service for all of us to participate in. If you're not familiar with Church of the Resurrection, Palm Sunday is one of the just one of the most joyful celebratory services of our church year. And we start outside and we all process in and then we come to the, the front and there's dancing and there's singing and there's shouting and there's waving of palm branches and we got a little bit of that this morning. So I come with grief this morning and I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I kept uh, thinking, maybe I should just preach on something else. I know it's Palm Sunday, but let's just preach on something else. Um, find a different topic. And yet, as I continued to press into this gospel reading that you heard, I felt the Lord saying to me and to us, this is exactly the story we need right now. This is exactly the story we need now. It's a story with three strands, and, and they all come together. It's like a plot with three separate things that all wind together at the end. It's also a story of courage, and it's a story of joy. So let's look at those three strands from our gospel reading. So first of all, there's the story of suffering. Now, the first gospel reading you heard read by Deacon John is from the gospel of Matthew chapter 21. So if you just flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, 20, you read the background to this story. So here's Jesus, and in chapter, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, and the Son of Man, that's a, a very Jewish Hebrew way to say Jesus, that's one of his titles, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and will be raised on the third day. So in the background of this Palm Sunday story is this shadow, this darkness, 
from the cross of Jesus. This is a story preceded by Jesus' prediction of his own death. It is a story of a God who meets us in the midst of our suffering. Now, I know right now that some of you are not suffering. Some of you are actually like, I get more time with my family than I've ever had before, and financially I'm fine. But many of you are suffering, and we know many Americans, and we know many people around the globe, especially the poor, have been suffering tremendously from this. I read one of your Facebook posts this, this week, and it said, this is impossible, exclamation mark, referring, I think, to getting through this and what this is doing to my family. Suffering is endurable as long as we know that we're not alone. Then it becomes intolerable. When it comes to our relationship with God, there's a, a man named John Stott who was one of my mentors for many years. He's a British guy that died um, a number of maybe 10 years ago. And he wrote this beautiful book called The Cross of Christ. And in that he says, suffering is tolerable except in our relationship with God if we, if we feel like he's not there with us. And he said, sometimes we have this caricature of God that we think of God as like he's lounging on a deck chair while the masses of people down below suffer. And Stott said, once you understand who Jesus is, once you understand the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, especially his death on the cross, once you understand that, that smashes that caricature to smithereens, Stott said. It smashes it to smithereens. I like that word, smithereens. It just smashes it. The Gospel of Matthew begins, it's got these two bookends. So the first bookend is in chapter 1, where um, Joseph is told to name Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, the God who is with us in our pain and suffering and sorrow. Then you read through the Gospel of Matthew. He's baptized with sinners. He eats with sinners. He heals broken people. And then you get to chapter 20 where Jesus predicts his own suffering. And then you heard when the Gospel reading that Catherine read, you heard the other bookend where Jesus' last cry his last words in the Gospel of, of, of Matthew are, are in Aramaic, his original, his mother tongue, because they're so raw and they're so memorable. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know in the context of that psalm that he was quoting from the Old Testament, Jesus is expressing at the same time as his agony and his suffering, he's also expressing trust in his heavenly Father. He does not abandon trust, and yet at the same time, Jesus takes upon his person not only our sin, he bears our sin and our brokenness, but also our sorrow, our questions, our agony, our sense of God forsakenness, what we might feel as God forsakenness. He takes it upon his lips in that cry. And so John Stott, he said, there's still a, a, a question mark over human suffering. There always will be. We don't have an answer to that that's neat and tidy. But he said, over that question, you should put another mark, and that is the cross of Christ over that question, which forever alters that question. Jesus is the one who suffers with us. That's the, the shadow over this whole story. It's also a story of courage. It's a story of deep courage on so many levels. I have a friend named, I'll call him Gary. I called him this week and I said, Gary, how are you doing? He's moved away, but we still keep in touch. He said, Matt, I live 
for times like this. I love opportunity to make a difference in a crisis. He says, don't get me wrong, I hate it when people suffer, but I feel alive when I have the opportunity to make a difference in a crisis like this. And we, we talk because we have a mutual love for a uh, novelist uh, who's now deceased, but used to be from Louisiana, a guy named Walker Percy. And Walker Percy had this theory that hurricanes, especially you can think of Louisiana, hurricanes make people come alive. They make people, they wake people up. And we talked about why is that? And the, the Percy's theory is, is that because it calls something out of us. It's like it, it requires something of us and we come alive. And what is that thing? I think it's courage. We, this is a time that requires courage. And this is a story of courage. So Jesus back in chapter 20, he's predicting his own death. He's, 17, he's in Jericho, the city of Jericho, and he's got a 17-mile walk. He's got a day or a couple of days to think about what he's going into. And yet he walks right into it. It is a story of amazing courage. In the Palm Sunday story, chapter 21, verse 5, we read that, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. So this is a picture of what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be, what kind of king he is. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, we're going to see that that's an Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled. But for now, just realize that Jesus is intentionally contrasting how he is a king, how he is a lord, how he displays power with the way that people were familiar with how kings and military leaders came into Jerusalem. So for instance, 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great had entered Jerusalem on a war horse with an with a entourage of soldiers. It is said that Pontius Pilate would come into um, Jerusalem on, on a horse, on a, a war horse. Jesus comes in on a donkey, vulnerable, as I said a couple weeks ago, woundable. It's a story of courage. One of the greatest examples of human courage in um, the gospel reading you heard is this guy named Simon of Cyrene. He's very Christ-like in this. And, and we heard his name, it just, just one little verse. It says, as Jesus was, as he was carrying the cross, they found a man named Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. Now, the early church believed that he was probably a disciple of Jesus, or in his sons or his family was a disciple of Jesus, because they know his name. But the thing I love about Simon is he didn't sign up for this. He's just like pulled out of the crowd. He's conscripted. And I don't know about you, but don't you feel that way? It's like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this virus. I didn't sign up for the fallout of this. I didn't sign up for what this is requiring of me. And yet, I think in the midst of this, the Lord wants to give you courage. I heard from one of my doctor friends in a very poor, underdeveloped country. They are getting ready for the coronavirus. They just have a few cases there now, but they got a makeshift tent. They have a space set aside for this. They have no personal protection equipment or almost none. They have uh, no ventilators. And he said at the end of his blog post, he said, I hope we don't need this. 
I hope it doesn't come to this country. But he said, if it does, and these were his last lines that really got to me. He said, we will provide the best care that we can for the most people that we can for as long as we can. Now that, my friends, is that's courage. You know, the Lord may be asking you for little bits of courage. Or some of you, the Lord may be asking for big, big bits of courage. And you think, I don't have that within me. And I think, I don't either. But I have Christ within me. And so I can ask him for the courage that I need. And you can do that as well. As our canon theologian, Stephen Godier, likes to say, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is knowing that you're afraid, but then doing the right thing anyway by the power of Christ. I love that. And you can do that as well. So it's a story of suffering. It's a story of courage. It's also a story of joy. And we might think, in a time like this, is joy appropriate? Is that? Can we do that? Are we in this time? Well, the Palm Sunday story, what we call the triumphal entry, which is really the humble triumphal entry, is a story of not just joy, but exuberant joy. All-out crazy joy. So in chapter 21, verse 2, Jesus, Jesus tells two of his disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them at once. What is happening here? Well, I think the best explanation is Jesus is setting up and prearranging what we can only call street theater. He is arranging all of this. So to make a point, and what is the point? Well, all throughout the gospel, Jesus has been doing all kinds of amazing things, healing people, changing broken lives. But then he kind of goes, shh, don't, let's not spread this around. Keep this between us. Let's keep this quiet. But now as he moves to the cross, he's like, I want you to really know who I am. I, the secret's out of the bag. And let's make it really clear. So he plans this street theater. And then in verse 5, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. That's a quote from our Hebrew scripture in Zechariah chapter 9. And it, the full verse says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. In other words, this is a context of great joy. So in verse 8, the people, the crowd, they, they start taking their cloaks off. They're probably their one and only cloak that they have. And they just throw it on the dirt ground, letting the animals and the people trample on it. They don't care. They're just crazy beside themselves with joy. And then in verse 9, they say three prayers, basically. They shout, Hosanna, or Lord save us, to the son of David, which is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been longing for. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And I love that last phrase. Someone has translated that as, God, save us in the best way. Pull out your best stuff for us, God, because we need an unusual salvation. I love that translation. And why is Jesus promoting joy when he knows he's in the shadow of the cross and it's coming? Well, because 
he sees ahead not the shadow of the cross, but he sees ahead the sunrise, the morning of the resurrection, that there will be another cry, not a cry of pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, but a cry of he is blank. He is blank indeed. And I don't want to say the phrase because I want to save it. But that's what's coming. You know, I've, I've said a number of times that the global church, places of poverty, places that we would consider under-resourced, are often our teachers in so many ways. And I remember a couple years ago when Bishop Stewart and I were in Joss, Nigeria, and he was preaching at their All Saints Revival. And there was 10,000 people there on Sunday morning. And there was this big field in the middle, a dirt field, probably about the size of a football field. So think of a football field just filled with dirt, dry dirt. And then around that were people, rings of people, eight to 10,000 people. And the praise team started up, and then a couple children went into the middle of the field and started dancing. And then a couple of old ladies got up and started dancing. And then there were a couple hundred peoples there. And then, of course, before me, the bishop started getting up and started dancing. And then I was just, I was trying to stay in the shade, you know, stay out of the sun. And then finally, a friend named Hassan took me by the hand and said, you're going to come and dance with us. So he brought me out there and we danced. And we danced and we danced and there was joy on a dry dirt field with no vendors, living under the shadow of persecution, living under the shadow of terrorist groups, but joy. That is a profound lesson to us. And I, I thought this week as I thought about them, I thought maybe we've forgotten where joy really comes from. Maybe we've forgotten the source of joy. And maybe in the midst of all of this we're going through, there is an invitation to come back to the source of our joy. The story in uh, Matthew 21 ends with a question. The people say, who is this? Who is this Jesus? And I think the gospel writer Matthew intentionally wants us to end on that question. Who is this? And I think it's a question for us. And maybe this. Who is Jesus to me today, right now? Nothing about Jesus has changed. Nothing about this story has changed. The way we experience it has changed. But nothing has changed about Jesus. He's still Emmanuel. He's still God with us. He's still the one who is the friend of sinners. He's still the one who heals broken lives. He's still the one who bore our sins on the cross. He's still the one who's risen and his power is available to us. So who is Jesus to you today? Let me pray. And as I pray, I want you to ponder that question and make a dedication or a rededication of your life to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we see today that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we pray for any who are suffering, that, you are the no, that they would know that you are the one that suffers with them. For any that need courage, that you would infuse them with courage. For any that need joy today, that your joy would be in them. Lord Jesus, many of us forgot, or um, the source of our joy grew really dim and dull and distant. 
And today, Lord, if there's anyone that wants to come to you or come back to you, return to you in a fresh way, may they just simply say, Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you or I recommit my life to you. I am trusting you as the Savior, the friend of sinners, the giver of courage, the God who suffers for us. So I repent, I change, I turn around, and I turn back to you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.